Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio today are Martin Arnold, our banking editor, Emma Dunkley, retail banking correspondent, Ralph Atkins, our capital markets editor, and finally, Caroline Binham, our financial regulation correspondent. We also have Paul Stamper down the line. He's head of financial services at Ipsos Mori, the research and polling organisation. Today, we'll be talking about rebranding. Will it work for banks as HSBC considers reviving the Midland brand? Second, a look at Greek banks as the tensions between Greece and the Eurozone rise again. And finally, a look at the liquidity rules, more concern in the US particularly about the pending problems in the markets. First, though, back to that rebranding story. It emerged last week that HSBC is considering reviving the old Midland brand as part of its restructuring, maybe spinning off the UK business. It's a bit of a theme at the moment, Emma, isn't it? That's right. A lot of the newer banks that are emerging in the UK are adopting names that have been long established, perhaps in a bit of a nostalgic nod to the days when uh, bankers were largely trusted and lenders served as the hub in communities and many customers knew their local branch managers. And also to give a sense of establishment and robustness for some of these new banks that are emerging. So, for example, we've got the carve-out from Lloyds Bank has adopted the name TSB, which was a brand established in 1810 by Reverend Henry Duncan as trustee savings bank. So that sort of harks back 200 years or so. And then we also have Williams and Glynn, which is being carved out of Royal Bank of Scotland. And that name was adopted in the 70s when RBS merged two entities from Wales and England. So a lot of these old brands are being revived as such. And I think there's now speculation that HSBC will be rebranding its retail entity as Midland Bank, harking back to the business that it bought in 1992 based in the Midlands. If I could come to you, Paul Stamper from Ipsos Mori, rebranding is something that's been happening for a very long time in the corporate world. Until now, we haven't had that much of it in banking. We've probably seen far more in, I don't know, consumer goods or or so on. But does it work? That's an interesting question. I think it can work if the situation and circumstances are right. I think the big issue is, is what's the rationale for doing it? If the change comes with positive benefits for customers, with a positive change in product, with a new way of doing things, then yes, it can be very powerful. I think what often happens, though, is that rebrand doesn't necessarily bring benefits with it. Um, it's either just business as usual, or maybe it's even you know, sees a drop off in service. And that can be when it doesn't go quite so well, because people will blame the rebrand for the change that they see that is less attractive. Now, Emma mentioned a couple of other examples of carve-outs from Lloyds and RBS, but of course, there is good reason for reviving old brand there. Not least, they needed to find a name for the bits that they're having to sell off to comply with antitrust rules. So coming up with those old names perhaps makes a lot of sense. In HSBC's case, they're going to have another hurdle to get over, aren't they? Because it could be seen cynically by customers and others as just an attempt to whitewash a part of their business and get away from a brand that has been pretty tarnished over the past few months with with all these scandals. 
I think that's absolutely right. The other thing about the HSBC situation is that neither the Lloyds brand nor the TSB brand, if we look at that instance, had actually disappeared. They'd been combined together to try and build on the strength of both of them 20 years ago. And as you say, they were in a situation where they had to find a brand for the second bank and splitting them back out again seemed a logical way to go. I think reviving Midland, which hasn't been something in the public eye for a while, is going to bring some interesting challenges for HSBC. And as you say, if this were to happen quickly, I think people would be very suspicious about the motivation behind it. And finally, if bankers are trying to look either to their own industry or to another industry for an example of of a rebrand that's been done phenomenally well, is there anything that you could point to? I mean, I think there are some in the industry itself. I think although Santander had huge teething problems and there were all sorts of issues when it first launched, if you now look at where it stands in terms of picking up new business, you know, the one, two, three account is taking a lot of market share, albeit there were a lot, lots of pain and teething problems, but there are things that can be learned then. And you know, there are people like EDF Energy, where I don't know how strong the parallels are, but that's now a name that people accept. It's a, a credible supplier in the industry. And it got there without too much pain. Well, uh, there's hope for, uh, for even the banking sector then. On to our second topic for the day and the tumult in Greece. We've got particular concerns around yet another deadline being missed in terms of Greece repaying its money. But the markets seem more jittery than they have done for a while, Ralph. They've certainly woken up to Greece. Greece is the uh, the biggest uh, topic in uh, the markets this week possibly even overshadowing the um, US Federal Reserve, which is quite remarkable. The reaction has been pretty sharp as well. I still think it falls into the category of slightly surprising it's not even greater considering the serious situation over Athens and its standoff with its creditors. And why do you think people are playing it down then? Well, the assumption all throughout the past few years on Greece has been that a deal will be struck, especially since the election of the new government in January. The assumption was this is a sort of game that's going on and that it was in the interest of all sides to settle and to reach an agreement. I think that still remains the case. People in the markets do think that's the most likely outcome, but it's becoming perhaps less and less credible. And some people are starting to get a bit more worried about that. And some people think they're just blatantly just wrong. Would you agree there's a school of thought out there that says actually the final decision on crystallising any crisis here rests with the ECB because they are the suppliers of liquidity to the Greek banks and unless you pull the plug to the Greek banks then everything can continue rolling on and can getting kicked down the road. And actually, the ECB isn't going to pull that plug because it knows that it would crystallise the crisis. This is one of the very big questions is whether the ECB does pull that plug because as you say it is propping up the banks and if it did pull the plug the banking system would collapse and inevitably almost inevitably i would think that your exit and capital controls and everything would follow will it pull the plug well i wouldn't rule it out and mario draghi the president says they're rules-based they do have rules saying when they can provide this liquidity and if the banks are deemed not to be solvent then they can pull the plug but i think you're right i think at the end of the day would they be the ones who want to pull down the whole potentially the whole sort of eurozone system i think not i think they'd want to see the politicians taking the responsibility that would be some epitaph for mario draghi wouldn't it absolutely let me turn to martin what do you think the state of the greek banks is in as ralph just said the greek banks are almost entirely reliant on the ecb as far as they're concerned it all hinges on that however there is one other rather worrying trend that we've seen in the past six to 12 months, which is the flight of deposits out of the Greek banking system. 
which is kind of twofold. The first withdrawal of deposits that we saw was mainly extremely wealthy people with large deposits in the Greek banks or private sector companies pulling out those deposits and putting them in banks which were considered much safer. And also in case of a exit from the euro and a return of the drachma and a massive devaluation, those savings would be protected. More recently, what we've seen with tens of billions of euros of deposits coming out in the last few months is the public sector bodies, so the state institutions, taking any excess deposits that they had in the Greek banks and paying them into the Greek central bank to help the government meet the payroll, help it pay policemen and civil servants and nurses and doctors. And that was a government policy. So that's accentuated this withdrawal of deposits. Now, if there was to be a default in a couple of weeks on this 1.5 billion loan that needs to be repaid in a couple of weeks, then you could see the deposit flight accelerate. And that could well necessitate some kind of capital controls, some kind of currency controls being implemented. And the precedent here is what happened in Cyprus, where under pressure from the EU, Cyprus imposed currency controls, which restricted the amount of money that people could take out of the banks or pay out of the country to foreign banks. So that happened in 2012. And those controls were only completely lifted this year. But it was very, very painful for the domestic government to do that. And I think it would be very, very, very painful for the Greek government to do that. And the Cypriot government only agreed to do this in return for a bailout package. Would the Greek government agree to do this, given how unpopular it would be domestically, given how bad relations seem to be between Athens and the Troika, uh, the IMF, the European Commission and the ECB? It's not clear. But that is one way that you would stop that flight of deposits. If you don't stop it, the banks will ultimately collapse and they will not be able to fund themselves. Well, let me bring Caroline in here because all of that noise and all of that uncertainty is rather spooking regulators around the world. But particularly there's concern within the UK regulatory environment at the moment about whether banks here have plans in place to deal with the fallout. Well, I think the UK regulators and particularly the Bank of England and the PRA's job generally to be concerned about such things and be thinking about them long before we think about them. So whilst I would say sanguine is perhaps overstating it, there's certainly no great sense of panic emanating from the bank at the moment. They're not commenting on the record about contingency planning that they're asking uh, UK banks uh, under their purview to undertake, but it can be taken as read that there is certainly contingency planning going on and it's been going on for the last few years, certainly since we first heard Grexit being mooted as a concept some four or five years ago. The bank, according to its official statistics, they say that UK banks' exposure to Greece stands at about just under £2 billion sterling, and that's expected to decrease when the next round of data comes out as well. So that accounts for about 1% to 2% of uh, banks' common equity, so certainly manageable. There are five banks with a presence in the UK. Only one is a subsidiary, which means it has its own capital buffers and liquidity management in place within the UK. And also that its retail customers could call upon the UK compensation scheme should things go downward very quickly. So the compensation scheme in this country compensates customers up to £85,000. 
Then you have UK banks with branches in Greece. There are some. Notably, HSBC has five branches in Greece. So what the PRA has been doing is just to talk with those banks and make sure that they are aware of the risks of a Grexit and things like what are the practical realities of capital controls, things like that. So certainly the sentiment seems to be that everything's in hand. I mean, I think the one caveat to that is that if you look through some of the public pronouncements Carney and other bank officials have made over the last six months. The fear is not so much in Grexit in and of itself, it's what it represents in terms of confidence in other peripheral southern Mediterranean economies. So if confidence in the markets of economies such as Spain and Italy was suddenly called into question, then I think it would be a different kettle of fish. Well, Martin, do you want to come back with a final yeah, just word? Just to say, you know, you talk to any of the big European or US banks about the Grexit risk, they all do sound extremely sanguine about it from their own individual exposure point of view, because all the foreign banks that owned businesses in Greece have either sold them or shut them down because of the last crisis. They've all looked through their portfolios and basically either hedged or sold out of any kind of major exposure to Greek sovereign debt or to Greek corporate loans. So the exposure of the financial system to Greece itself, the direct financial exposure, is fairly limited. The big question would be what happens if there was some major market aftershocks in terms of a spiking of the spreads for other peripheral countries, um, sovereign, sovereign bond markets. Yes, that old question of contagion risk. We'll monitor that obviously very closely. Let's move on to our third and final topic for today. Kind of related issue, I suppose, in some ways, market liquidity. There are renewed concerns, particularly in the US, that given the volatility in markets in Europe, particularly at the moment, the banking system does not provide sufficient buffers anymore through its absorption of liquidity to be able to weather storms going forward. That's obviously a result of the capital changes and the fact that banks no longer have the wherewithal to have these buffers in place. Now, Caroline, there's been quite a lot of noise around this. Banks obviously complaining, regulators seeming sympathetic to some degree. And obviously also in a related topic, we had last week the publication of the Bank of England's Fair and Effective Markets Review, which kind of touched on all of this. Where do you see the debate at the moment? I think to put it at its most simplest, regulators are fairly satisfied with the reforms that have been made in the banking sector. And their attention is now turning to other important parts of the financial system and asset managers are key amongst them. And there is a feeling that there is systemic risk that's being harboured by the asset management industry. Specifically in terms of liquidity and what's happening this week, FINRA, which is the US financial regulator, is having some meetings with industry and regulators and policymakers and wise people to discuss What happens specifically in certain bond markets where if you've got an asset manager who sells a big chunk of a particular asset to a bank that's big enough to set the price of that particular asset, then the bank then has a problem selling that on at a profit because the asset manager will typically have given them a discount to buy such a large chunk of that particular asset. The issue happens when there is almost instantaneous financial reporting of this transaction that sets the market price. So what the industry is lobbying for is a delay in the reporting of that transaction to perhaps a day later. Now, it might be that 
such transparency can exacerbate a rout. But it also happens to be that this is the way that the banks make an awful lot of money. So it's quite difficult to cut through what is actually happening here. And I think policymakers generally have liquidity in their sights as something that they need to be grappling with, but no one really has the answer to it right now. So how does this fit, if at all, in with the so-called Fair and Effective Markets Review that I mentioned? I think only in as much as uh, structurally asset managers, as I mentioned, are very much in regulators' sites. So the part of the Fair and Effective Markets Review that was new and quite a surprise was that they are extending what's called the senior managers regime and the certified persons regime to the buy side of the industry. So that's asset managers, hedge funds, etc., with an estimated extra 57,000 people captured within those regulations. And you'll remember that the senior managers regime has caused all sorts of consternation amongst the banks and the insurers that it applies to at the moment, because essentially senior managers are held to account for failings on their watch. And of course, one of the interesting things about this so-called FEMA review was that Mark Carney and others at the Bank of England are confident, or at least hopeful, that it can become a blueprint for global standards. So if all of this does spread around the world, then it becomes even more of an issue, obviously. We should leave it there. Thank you to Martin, Caroline, Emma and Ralph in the studio here. And also thanks to Paul Stamper from Ipsos Mori. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Fiona Simon. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.